0: I'm so thankful for God's love and I am so thankful that it's not something you have to search real far for. I mean, His love is so evident when you open your eyes and begin to look. He makes it that way because He wants us to know his presence. He wants us to feel his presence. He wants us to know he's there. And one thing we're going to be talking about this morning in a very general sense, it's the love of Christ. It's how much he loved us and the love of the Father who sent his son for us. But in a specific sense, it's really how we can choose the path of our life to give us freedom. That first song we sang, I, I'm free in Christ, right? What does that really mean? What does it mean to be free in Christ? You know, I, I, I've sung those songs. I, I was a worship leader for over 15 years. And, and you know, we, we sang about the freedom of Christ. We sang about the love And and i got to tell you that I didn't understand what that freedom really meant until my intimacy with him got to a new level. Because all of a sudden, I understood that freedom was freedom to be with him. It's, It's not just freedoms from... You know, things that we're supposed to do in this world, or, or, or freedoms from having to worry about something. It is freedom to something, not freedom from. It is freedom to. And that, too, is Jesus Christ. That, too, is the relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I want to do this morning, we're going to be talking about three main passages. And I want to tell them to you right now. I want to give you, if you could write these down. I want to give you the passages that we're going to go over because when you go home this week, I want you to dig into these. Just like Acts 17.11 says, as the Bereans were, I want you to be. I want you to take these scriptures and I want you to open them up when you're in your quiet time, pray, Lord, reveal this to me and let him speak to your heart. Now, these are not complicated passages. That's not why I'm doing it. These are actually somewhat simple passages. But these passages are some of the most powerful in the word of God. Certainly in 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 when it comes to freedom in Jesus Christ versus not freedom. Freedom to have a relationship with him. So if you write these down the first one's going to be in Ephesians And it's Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll give you all these before we begin to go through them. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. The next one is one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. And it's Romans chapter (laughs) 8. Any of the young people, uh, I I can't even tell you how, how long we spent on this. Over and over and over and over and over again. We went back to Romans chapter 8, right? They're all laughing at me and smiling. (laughs) Really? Again? Okay. This is my favorite chapter. One of my favorite chapters in the Word of God, if if you can even say that. But Romans chapter 8, we're going to read two sections in chapter 8. First of all, verses 1 to 5. And not that you can't read the ones in between. Of course you can, but this morning we'll, we'll be dealing with two sections. Then, verses 12 to 17. So again, Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 5. And then, verses 12 to 17. And then we're going to finish this up in Colossians. I said we're reading a lot of scripture this morning. Honestly, I, I don't even know that I need to preach. Just coming up and reading these scriptures will not return void. So, Colossians chapter 3, another amazing, amazing chapter in the Bible. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 14. Okay, so Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, Romans 8, 1 through 5, Romans 8, 12 through 17, and Colossians 3, 1 through 14. Those are the scriptures we're going to be going over this morning. And, and I know, I know that, uh, you know, most of us in here know each other. We, we, you know, have walks with Jesus Christ. But I want you to understand something. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were made alive in him. Okay? It's funny how you can spend years and years and years being saved and hearing these buzzwords in the Christian community, right? Made alive in Christ oh, yeah, that's awesome, I'm alive in Christ, (laughs) and not really realize what these things mean. You know, what does it mean to be made alive in Christ? And by the way, why did he do it? You know, Christ made us alive in him for his glory, for his honor. You have to remember that everything the Father did through Jesus Christ, was for Christ's honor and glory. Everything the Holy Spirit does today, as he moves amongst us right now, he will do nothing but lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ was that part of the Godhead, that part of the Trinity, that made the sacrifice to become a man. Think about that. We've talked about that in weeks past. A member of the Trinity, a member of the Godhead, the Son, became a man who became, his name was given as Jesus. Christ is a title. He's really Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So a member of the Godhead lowered himself below the angels. Because man is created a little bit below the angels. Brought himself, subjected himself to the same things we're subjected to. To this three-dimensional world and time. So you can imagine what kind of sacrifice that was. Now when he came on this earth, remember it wasn't just his mind as Part of the Trinity. When he became a man, he had to learn things. The Bible says he had to learn obedience. He had to learn, he had to gain knowledge in following his father. Now we know, we know very little about his, his younger part of his life. We do know at age 12, um, anybody in a, that's a parent here you know, always has this fear of leaving your kids somewhere. Where'd my kid go? Left him in the mall or whatever. Well, they left him in Jerusalem and apparently got you know, part of the way home and realized, where's Jesus? Let's go back and get him. Found him in the temple. It was then at 12 years old, at least by then, he realized who he was. He knew who his father was because he said, I must go about my father's business. He was in the temple. He was preaching. He was speaking. If you can imagine that for a 12-year-old, that's amazing. But he had to learn that. He had to learn that faith. He chose to become like us to learn that faith. So when he lived this life and he offered his life on the cross, he could become the Savior of us. See, he had to, it took one of us to become the savior of us. Does that make sense? God could not come down and just declare, okay, you now can be perfect in my eyes. He couldn't do that because God can't look on sin. There are a few things God cannot do. He cannot look on sin. He cannot lie, the Bible says. Okay, and, and praise God... Jesus could not be held by death, because the Bible said he could not be as God. Okay, but it took a man to give sacrifice, that perfect sacrifice for you and for me, to give us the opportunity for this relationship or this opportunity to be made alive. So this, this beginning stuff that I'm talking about, it's important that you understand, because when we begin to realize what being made alive in Christ means, we have to understand that he was just like us. He was tempted, just like us. He went through hardships, just like us. There were things that were disappointing to him, just like us. Things that he loved, he reveled in, just like us. He could experience the emotion that we experience, so we have a God who is relatable to us. You ever think about that you know i I, I don't know about you, but you know growing up it, it was like, well, you know God's so big, and you know how does he relate to the things that I'm going through? How does he relate to the fact that you know, I'm dealing with this at school. These kids are teasing me and I don't know how to deal with it. You know, how, how does he relate to that? Well, you know what? He went through that. How bad do you think he was teased at 12 years old already knowing who he is? I mean, you, you, know, you know the kids we grow up with. You know, they, they want to get you to do bad stuff. <laughs> he knew who he was. He didn't do those things. Do you think he was teased? Sure, absolutely, he was teased. So he can relate to the things we go through. And all of these things making us alive in him, we have to understand is for his glory. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7 goes like this. And you were dead in trespasses and sins, And then those awesome words. But God. I've said it before, but God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, by the way, we are being made alive with Christ. This is the Father talking This is the Father saying, I have made you alive with Jesus Christ. I have made you alive with the one who died for you. I've made you alive. What does that mean? Verse 6. I didn't just make you alive, by the way. He says in verse 6, he says, and raised us up with him. We are raised with Jesus and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So even, and now, I, I don't know, if you look around, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we look around and we can all agree that we're not sitting at the right hand of God right now, right? We're at 601 Channel Court, <laughs> right? But wait a second. He just said that we are seated at the right hand of the Father with Christ. We were raised up with Christ. So I I want you to begin making a connection that what he did for Jesus Christ, he is doing for you. When he raised Jesus Christ up to sit at the right hand of him, of the Father, he raised those who would have a relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Those who would ask him into their heart, become saved, those who became intimate with him, he raised up and sat with him at, at the right hand of the Father. So it says we were raised up with him and seated at the right, right hand of the Father in Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Why? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness Toward us in Jesus Christ. And that really tells us the effectiveness of God's love for us. That tells us why he is doing that. Why does he bring, up, bring us up right next to him with Jesus Christ? Because he wants intimacy. He wants intimacy and he wants to show and give glory to his son who died for us. Think about that for a second. That's a father who's proud of his son. The father was proud of his son Jesus. What he did on this earth as God and as man. So he said, all those people that you died for that accept you, I'm going to include them in you and I'm going to raise them up with you, place them at my side, where I can keep my arms around them, where I can have fellowship with them, and I'm going to do it for one reason, for my son's glory, to show the world how proud I am of him, how much I love him. It's kind of like a parent who loves their child and who wants to show good things for their child that, you know, they invite their friends over to to the house or whatever, and you lay out a spread of food for them, or you do things for them so, so they have a fun time. Why do you do that? You do that because you love your child. You want your child to be glorified in that moment. You want those kids to like your child. You want those kids to love your child. You want those kids to have fun with your child. It's no different with God. See, with God, he wants us to love Jesus. He wants us to have a relationship where we have intimacy with Jesus. So imagine going to his house. Hey, I'm going to hang out with Jesus this week. Imagine the spread he's going to lay out, that the Father is going to lay out for you. Why? Because he wants his Son to be glorified. He wants his Son to, for us to see him, that he is in the Father, and the Father is pleased with him. That he loves him. The Bible says Jesus is in the Father. And it says that we are in Jesus, therefore what? The Bible says we are in the Father. How crazy is that? We're at 601 Channel Court. How can we be in the Father if we are here? It's because do not let the limitations of physical presence confuse you in terms of relationship. When you have somebody that you love... And you're on the phone with them, or you're FaceTiming with them, or you're talking, you're communicating somehow, but you're not next to them. Do those feelings change? No, they don't change. See, when we pray to the Father, and we have an intimate time with Jesus Christ and the Father, we don't have to be physically there. Because relationship isn't About the physicality. It's about what we know of that person. What do you know about Jesus Christ? See, you've been made alive. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you've been made alive. But what do you really know about this person you've been made alive in? That's how we grow in intimacy is getting to know who he is, right? It's just like any relationship. So remember that he has made us alive. Verse 7 is the key here. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, those, those coming ages, that's not just when we're with him. That's easy to assume as you're reading this thing because that's what I used to assume. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be awesome when we're in heaven. We get to be with Him. But wait a second, that's not what He's talking about. Go back, and He said, You were brought up with Him. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you were brought up with Him. Doesn't mean you're brought up with Him once you die. Because Jesus said, when you accept him, you're in him immediately. So see, the Father is talking about the coming ages being the coming ages of your life. The coming ages of your walk with him. As you walk with him and you grow in intimacy with him, those are the coming ages. The coming times of your life when he manifests kindness toward you. It's like going over to Jesus' house and the Father has laid out this big spread. Yeah, it's right out by the pool. Go have fun. Play volleyball. Play softball. All the food's out there. Don't swim for 20 minutes. Think about it. That is what a relationship with Jesus Christ is. Why? Because He's God. He is God, and he is part of the Trinity. When he was raised from the dead, he did not lose his manhood, by the way, because it says that there is a man sitting at the right hand of the Father. There will be a man that takes over David's throne here on earth. So he didn't lose his manhood. He didn't lose his human nature, his humanhood, whatever word you want to use. Right, But he is also 100% God. So you can imagine how amazing this is, this, this ongoing relationship where God wants to do this through us right now. He wants to encourage us. We are in the coming ages right now. The second you get saved, it begin, begins those coming ages. This coming time in your life that the Lord wants to work through your life. And, and it's not about him doing things that he just wants to do through you. I need to check off my list while they're still alive, get, get these things done so they're, they're doing this for me. It's not that. It's not what he says. He says, I want to, verse 7, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness, what, toward us. Immeasurable riches of his grace. See, that's being made alive. That's the living. We can have a relationship with Christ and be dead. It's very easy. I've been in a hundred churches like that. You all know people like that, that are saved, and they're, they're, they're just dead. They don't make the connection of the relationship. Does it change their salvation? Does it change the fact that they're not going to heaven? No, they're going to heaven. Doesn't change any of that. What they miss out on are those immeasurable riches of his grace. It's kind of like they were invited to go over to Jesus' house for a pool party and they decided not to go. You know, and and that is when you think about it, that hurts only one person. That hurts them. See, because they were made alive in Christ, they were made to live in Christ, to have this joy in relationship and understanding who he is. So now that we're saved, and we understand that we're made alive in Christ, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to, Read verses 1 to 5 first. So now that we're saved, okay, we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart. We have our golden ticket to heaven. But the Lord says some very important things about us. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So immediately, he begins explaining what this being made alive is. It's what we sung about in the first song. It's this freedom. This freedom in Christ. What is that freedom? It's freedom from burden. What burden? The burden of sin. If you have walked with Christ for any length of time, you begin to recognize that sin can be a burden on your life. And it can be all kinds of sin, even down to simple things. They can become burdens on your life. But Jesus said, When you accepted me, I gave you this freedom ticket, this freedom from sin. It's almost like a, uh, you know, it's not an automatic thing. When we get saved, boom, no more sin, you do not sin. And it doesn't work like that, although that's how the Father sees it. See, the Father sees us as righteous because he looks at us through his Son. But our relationship with Jesus Christ, he does see our sin. Why? Because that sin gets in the way of our relationship with him. So to be alive in Christ, there had to be a formula to get rid of that sin. Not just on a permanent level before the Father, but on a relationship level, on a day-to-day level in our walk, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. He had to give a way to do that. And Romans 8 tells us that there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. He gave us a freedom that we could grab hold of in this life with Christ instead of the law of sin and death. So let's go on, verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he, he condemned sin to death. Verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now this goes back to what I was saying before. Remember I said that Jesus came here on this earth. Okay, but why? Why did it have to be a man? Why did God have to become a man to die for mankind? Okay, because it took one of our own. See, because the law was already laid down. The law was there, and the law could not be kept. I mean, even if you could do pretty good at it, if you couldn't do 100% perfect at it all the time, then it was not kept. See, because all it takes is one slip-up. Sin creeps in, and the whole law is broken. That's how law works. The letter of the law must be kept. So it took a perfect human being to be able to live this full life, be tempted as everybody else, but yet without sin, to then lay down their life as a sacrifice for you and for me. That that, that blows my mind. That he would do that for us. What he gave up for us on the cross. But this is how he purchased us being alive in him. He had to defeat sin and death. This law of sin and death. And he could only do it by living a perfect life. And offering that perfect life as a sacrifice. Let's go on. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So now there begins a shift. Okay, when you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you were then given a choice. Before that, you didn't have a choice. You were ruled by sin, period. You didn't have a choice. But when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, his blood covered your sin, you, you then had a choice in how you live. You can walk still according to the sin of the flesh. Why? Because we, our, our body doesn't change when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart. We still are in this sinful flesh. We still are in this sinful world. Those are choices that are still before us that we can make. And everybody realizes that. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's not once you're saved, oh, I, I haven't sinned since I was saved. You know, that, that that doesn't work. You still have temptation, you still have choice. But now, because we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, we have a second choice. We have a choice to live by the Spirit. See, because there's something in us that did change. When we accepted Christ, right? We are body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is our mind. So body, mind, and spirit is what every every human is. Okay, but there's one thing that changed when we accept Jesus Christ into our heart. Our spirit changed. Our body didn't change. Our mind didn't change. In fact, the Bible says to renew your mind every day. Okay, but our spirit did change. Why? Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, it's because the Holy Spirit was sent to dwell in your heart. So then when when the Holy Spirit came and he took residence in your heart, the Bible says that darkness cannot be with light. Okay, you see where I'm going with this? When the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in your heart, Ephesians 1, 13, and 14 said he will be there until the end. He will be there until you receive your inheritance. If He is there, the enemy cannot be. If the Holy Spirit is there, you've accepted Christ into your heart, the enemy cannot be. So now we have this perfect Spirit. It's perfect why? Because the Holy Spirit's there. The Holy Spirit dwells inside us. He's perfect. That's who the Father sees when he looks down on us. Because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But we also have our sinful flesh. Our sinful mind. So we, God, God then lays it out here that now we have a choice. We can live by the Spirit. Or we can live by the flesh. Oftentimes, most times, especially when we're young in Christ, we choose to live by the flesh because that's what we know. That's what we know. Even if we try to make good decisions in the flesh, it's still the flesh. It's still the fact that we are relying on our own intellect, our own wisdom. Pray, God, I pray that you give me wisdom so I can make these decisions in the flesh. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. God, give me wisdom so I can decide. But see, he gives us a second choice. He said, wait a second. This will be a whole lot easier if you live in the Spirit. If you live according to my Spirit, why? Because the Spirit is there to guide you. He's there to help you. When Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he said, you want me to go. You want me to go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's coming. And he's going to live in you. And when you accept him, when you accept Jesus as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and he replaces that entire part of who you are and cleanses it. And so if you allow him to, he begins to direct the other two parts. He begins to direct the mind, direct the body, if we let him. So we can, let me, let me read verse, verse 5 again. For those who live according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. So again, we are given choices To walk in the flesh as we have been, or walk in the spirit. What does that mean? How How do we do that? Let's go down to verse 12. And this is, before we actually get into the how, this is why. This is why Jesus did this and the Father did this. Let's read verse 12 to 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, now by the way, don't assume there it's talking about those people who are saved versus unsaved. Okay, the death that it's talking about here is death of ourselves. Death of the, the other two parts of who we are, that body and the mind. When you, do, when you are saved, and you do not live for Jesus Christ, you are going down a very rough path. That path will lead to a physical death. You can read that in 1 Thessalonians. That will lead to a physical death. It will lead to turmoil here on this earth. Why? Because you were bought with a price. You were bought, you took that free gift, and then held everything else back. So so he's, he's saying here that you became debted to Jesus when you accepted this from him. Verse 14 For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let's stop there for a second. Think about that. When you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled It just said, with your spirit. It came and dwelt with your spirit to show that you are a child of God. And that's extraordinary. There is an unbelievable change that takes place when we accept Jesus Christ as, as our Savior. But yet the external does not show that change until we yield to that spirit. Until we yield to the desire of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So have we yielded? Have we given him that place? Or do we still try to hold control? But God takes it one step further in verse 17. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. (laughs) That blows me away. Imagine going over to that pool party. You're there hanging out with Jesus and he said, you know, I I know he's my son, but you know, all this is going to be yours too. That's crazy. That's amazing. That because of his son, he includes us as his children. That was the plan from the beginning. That we could give fellowship to the father that he could give fellowship to us that he could become our friend our best friend we are made joint heirs with Christ but middle way through 17 it puts a condition on there provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see a relationship with Jesus Christ has a cost. We've talked about that before. It's not just something that that you get saved and you get this precious gift from God and yeah, we'll see in a few years I mean, you can do that. He's not going to force a relationship on you. But see there's a cost without relationship why? because it just said we become fellow heirs with Christ what? provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him what does it mean to suffer with him? does that mean that we have to go through the same things he did? I don't know, maybe 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 some of us will go through the same things that he did. Maybe we will go through ridicule. Maybe we will go through beatings. Maybe we will go through death. I don't know. But you understand that the suffering was that he did the will of the Father, whatever it was. He just trusted that what the Father was doing in him was what was good. And he suffered because it was his father's will, not his will. See, when we when we live our own will, we might get ourselves into suffering, but our goal is to keep ourselves out of suffering. Right? You know, well, I don't want to do this because I know I'll be hurt in this, or I, I do want to do this because over here I'm going to have a great time. And, and, and so nobody tries to live their life to bring as much Hurt and condemnation and, and horrible time and, and pain as they can on their life. Nobody does that. So when we are seeking his will, someone else's will other than our own, the suffering will come. Now, why does God allow suffering? You know what? I mean, that's, that's a whole different message. Because bottom line, as we read in Ephesians 2, he does it for his glory. He doesn't produce the very love in us that he desires. Because God's not thinking about the temporal time that we're here on this earth. He's thinking about the time we're, when we're with him in heaven. He's thinking about after this life. For eternity. That's where his mind is. That's what he's thinking. So he's preparing us for that that time. He's preparing us to be intimate with him. To know him. So we can be with him that way for eternity. Have that intimacy with him for eternity. So let's turn to Colossians 3. How do we choose then? Okay, we, we know we have this choice of walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. Okay, How then do we choose to walk in the Spirit? Let's read verses, let's start at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. He's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. So before we go on, recognize what that means. See, before we can know His will, before we can see what's coming at us, before we can see where we're walking, we got to set our eyes. When you go anywhere, what's the first thing you do? You set your eyes. Right? If, if I'm going to start running and I don't set my eyes ahead of me, then I'm going to have problems. Or, or how about those videos of of young people that are texting walking down the mall and not paying attention to anything. I love the one, it, I don't know, it, it, it was all over Facebook where the, this young person's just walk and walks flat into a fountain. Never even saw it coming. Of course, it's huge. I don't know how in the world they didn't. It's because they didn't set their eyes. When you go somewhere, when you're trying to get somewhere, you first set your eyes. You see where you're going. You at least know the direction that you want to go. You set your eyes on where you want to be. So he's saying that's the first step. You want to walk in him. You want to seek to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. You better set your eyes where he is. Set your eyes, and that doesn't mean you walk around looking like this you might walk into that fountain. Okay. Setting your eyes on where he is is the same as Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. You're seeking where he is. Now remember, he's in a different dimension than we are. He's right here. If he's right here, why can't we see him? It's because he's in a different dimension than we are. He is spirit. And because you cannot see him, doesn't mean he's not there. Set your eyes on where he is. How in the world do we know how to set our eyes? He gave us a manual. He gave us a manual on how to set our eyes on him. How to look to him. How to trust him. How to draw close to him. Verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Ooh, I love that. Your life is hidden because Jesus takes who we were and he covers it in his sin, or in in his blood. He covers our sin in his blood. So we're hidden in Christ. Are are you seeing the mental picture of this? It's kind of like, kind of like, Jesus taking a perfectly white robe, clothing us in that, and showing us to the Father. See, we're perfect. Why? Because we're clothed in Him. Verse 4 When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And He goes through and He gives, gives these things sexual immorality. Impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, that's anything that you put above the Lord. That really kind of starts to head home. Anything that you put before the Lord can be an idol. So it includes idolatry. Verse 6 On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Then he gives another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, he's beginning to mold us. If you let him, if you're seeking him in spirit and not in the flesh, you're letting him mold you into who he wants you to be. That's what he's doing here then. He's renewing us in the knowledge of him. If you let him pour into you who he is, you are increasing in the understanding of who he is. He's pouring into you the knowledge. He is renewing you in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Then verse 11, he said, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, free, but Christ is all in all. He said, in here, it's a level, level playing field. Wouldn't it be nice if that's how the world worked? We all got to start on a level playing field, and you know, we could all get to the top with the same amount of effort as everybody else. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, we know the world doesn't work that way. People are born into different situations, you know, people have other opportunities, other people don't. See, gather what, what he's saying here. He's saying with a relationship with him, it doesn't work that way. A relationship with Jesus Christ, it is a level playing field. You have every bit the same equal opportunity to get to know him, to let him work in your life as I do. See, it wasn't long ago I was sitting in your seat. I was sitting there, just wondering, God, what are you going to do with my life? Realizing that he has purpose in everybody's life. He has a calling on your life, whether you think he does or not. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, he has a calling for your life. And that calling is intimacy with him. He's inviting you over to the pool party. We just don't realize. But do you know what? He didn't just invite the cool kids. He didn't just say, hey, Jesus, pick out the cool ones, the ones that we know everybody will like, and it'll make it a really successful pool party, and invite them. No, he said, invite everybody. And and by the way, when they come, it's going to be equal with everybody. I am going to give the same opportunity to each person to have intimacy with my son. That's huge. Don't let that, that thought escape you. You have the same opportunity that Billy Graham had. Think about that. Now, I'm not talking about the the earthly calling that he had. I'm not talking about what God had him do in life. I'm talking about the intimacy he had with Jesus. You have that same opportunity because you started on the same level playing field that he did. I, I don't know about you, but to me, when I began to realize that, Jesus became so much more personal to me that was really when it shifted from a religion box to reality in my life. When he became real was when I understood he pursued me and allowed me to pursue him the same as anybody else. See, I didn't have to overcome any other obstacles Above that, he had this level playing field. That's a huge, huge thought. Verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. So he's saying, all these things take off. And then he's saying, okay, here, put these on in replacement of those things. Holy, beloved, compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the Lord's forgiven you so you must also forgive now imagine if you knew let, let's let's use the scenario of school time again okay some of us are closer to that than others <laughs> But in school, imagine if there was a kid, or or for that matter, even an adult at work, that did those things, that was compassionate, that was forgiving, that was loving, that was caring, that did things for you. Imagine how you would receive them. It'd be different, wouldn't it? It'd be different. And and that's what he's saying. If you act this way, if you take on these traits, that is going to allow the Spirit to work through you. But then I love Jesus. He loves to pinpoint and boil down. He loves to make it easy. He always, always does this. And that's verse 14. And above all, Above all, these things put on love. (laughs) Why? Because love is the very thing that binds all that together. Love is the oil that makes that whole engine work. Love is what gives the power to be kind. See, you can be kind in your own fruition. You can be kind just because you decide to be kind. But if you have kindness backed by the power of love, that's a big difference. That's where you begin to affect lives. That's where people start to see that it's not you, but there's something greater at work inside you. See, this is all coming about when Jesus makes us alive in him. Why? Because it's not, our, it's not us being alive. It's Him who, through His Holy Spirit. When we choose to seek Him, to set our eyes on things above, wanting the Spirit to work through our lives, we are choosing to be alive. Alive in Christ. And, and as hard as I could try and explain... What that feels like, nobody can explain it really all that well. Because it's something you have to experience. How do you explain being alive in Christ? Well, it's, it's pure joy, pure happiness, great time, fun, all this. You know what, I could explain using all kinds of adjectives and it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it justice. Why? Because the very thing that makes it alive is the very thing I can't explain. And that's the Holy Spirit in me. The Holy Spirit working through me in conjunction, as we read, with the Holy Spirit with my spirit. Like this tandem working hand in hand to what? To change me. To change me to be a better reflection of who Jesus Christ is. And so when we do that, we become alive in Him. Did I? Uh, I did read up through 14. Yeah. Above all, put on love. But on oh, oh, the last part of this, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, we're a family. As the body of Christ, we're a family. And this family is supposed to be united in him. So if we want unity in the body of Christ, and we do have it in this local body, okay, but when he talks about the body of Christ, he's not just talking about Ignition Church right here. He's talking about the entire body of Christ. We're to be unified. In fact, it isn't until we are unified that's when the when Jesus Christ comes back and takes his bride home when his bride is ready what makes his bride ready we're unified maybe that's something we'll get into another time because that's an amazing amazing study that 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 study in and of itself changed my perception of what's about to happen in the world you know i was i was, uh, always used to be this you know, well, you got the tribulation, all this doom and gloom, everything's coming to, to a bad state. And then God will come and yank us up and, and save us from all this. And wow, was I so wrong. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says that he will not take his bride until she's prepared. And, and again, we'll get into it another time. But the Word is until, until the, bo- the body, the bride of Christ is unified. So you have to understand there's amazing things coming. Now, I'm not saying there won't be persecution. I'm not saying the governments won't you know, turn against us or any, whatever. I mean, that's what happened in Acts, and Acts was pretty amazing, right? It was amazing because of what the Holy Spirit was doing. As the Holy Spirit begins to bind his bride together, you're going to see amazing, amazing things happen. Do you know we have a responsibility in that? And I'm going to close with this. We have a responsibility. You know, Jesus just said that we're to be unified, right? That through this love, everything is bound together in perfect harmony. We have to take what we have here as a local body in Christ. And you've got to go outside these doors. And it's not for the purpose of bringing them in. If God brings them in, awesome. And he will. But it's for the purpose of binding together the body of Christ in unity. Just like what it said right there. Everybody here knows people that go to other churches. That are saved. That know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. We all know those people. See, it's not our job to try and get them to come here. Who cares if they come here? That's not what's going to bring Jesus Christ here any faster. What's going to bring him here faster is us unifying with them. And and for the life of me, I, I believe so strongly in my heart, this is one of the callings of Ignition Church. This is one of the primary callings of Ignition Church, is to draw the body of Christ together. To say, hey, you know what? We all have this common bond, and that's Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, the unity that we experience here, let it go outside. Let it go with those friends that, that go to other churches. We, we have something in common with them. We are family with them. As we become to unify with them, then this verse will begun, be, begin to take effect. It will bind everything together in perfect harmony. It doesn't mean you agree on everything. Oh, good night. What family agrees on everything? That's not a prerequisite to be a family. It's that you have a common bond and you layer that in love. That's what brings the perfect harmony. You know, it's interesting because my, my sister and I fought like cats and dogs all growing up. You know, As, as many siblings do. But as we've gotten older, we've become best friends. Because... We're so common, you know, alike now? No, we're still very different. But it's been bathed in love. And that's what makes it common. That's what makes, permeates it to that that harmony. That's what he wants for the body of Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer.